Bible is God's Word, what should we do with it? Many of us turn to it looking for guidance, for stories to encourage us and heroes to elevate as examples. In Abraham, we find inspiration to trust God with everything, just as he did by not holding back his only son. Elijah challenges us to be courageous, just as he was when he called down fire from heaven. And David encourages us to overcome any obstacle, just as he did when he slew the giant with a stone. These heroes of the faith do inspire us, but if that's all they do, we place a burden on them too great to bear. The same burden we place on ourselves when we try to live by their example. After all, Abraham was a liar. Elijah ran away to die in the wilderness when threatened, and David murdered one of his closest allies to cover up an affair. What if the Bible's heroes aren't simply models, but pictures of brokenness? People like us who need a hero too. The hero all the Bible's heroes point to, Jesus. This is the story all scripture tells from beginning to end. The story that isn't simply about how to live, but how to live through the one who lived for us. The story that invites us to continue sharing it, inviting others to follow him until the day he returns. The good news, the story of redemption, the story of the gospel. When you get it, it changes everything. When you truly understand the power of God's word and what it does in your life and in my life, it changes everything. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we process through life. It changes the way we approach with questions. It changes everything. I want you to think about change right now in the midst of this season. And I want you to think about what is the most difficult change you've experienced. Come on, just think about it right now. What's the most difficult change in this season that you've experienced? For some of you, you've had change that's happened prior to this season that your mind goes back to because that change was greater than the change of this season. Years ago, I read a book uh, about this idea of changing before you have to. It was written by a pastor by the name of Rob Ketterling. And in that book, he talks about the idea of change. And he talks about how it wasn't until he had his, um, I, I believe it was a heart attack. And, um, and when all that happened, that he began to realize he needed to make some change. Circumstances can cause us to make change in our lives. Those who are pro proactive begin to see things that are changing and say, I, I need to make change in that. Some of you need to make some change today, and you actually need to change maybe your approach towards Valentine's Day. And instead of forgetting Valentine's Day, maybe you should remember Valentine's Day. Because some of you are going to get in hot water if you didn't remember that Valentine's Day. All of us are in the midst of change that's happening, but the change that's happening around us causes us to actually experience things differently. I remember the first time I ever flew on an airplane. Do you remember that time? Anyone ever remember the time you first flew on an airplane? Okay, so for me, I was young. I would have been around the ages of eight to 10 years old. I, don't, I can't even really remember how old I was. I think, actually, you know what? I think I was 10. 
I was 10 years old. I was flying down to Texas to stay with my grandparents for the summer. What's interesting about this trip, though, is it was me and my younger sister, Christine, who were going to go stay with grandma and grandpa for the summer. I was excited about the trip. I was excited about flying. But here was the interesting thing. It was my first time flying, and my parents were not going with us. I know, that sounds weird. What parent just drops their kids off at the airport and says, get to Houston, Texas? My parents did. In fact, my parents are probably watching right now. Great job, mom and dad. <laughs> but this was back in the day when, when those type of things happened. And I remember there was you know, a person who was responsible for us to make sure we got on the plane. My parents walked us to the gate, all those things. They, they got us on. So it wasn't like they just dropped us over the airport and said, good luck. They got us there. That was before you know, 9-11 and all the security checks. And so so here they were and got us on the plane. My grandparents picked us up on the other side and we went really late at night so that way we would just sleep most of the time while we were flying. But I remember sitting there and experiencing an airplane for the first time. And, and, I, and I was sitting there and I was thinking and reflecting upon that. And I, I was reflecting about how exhilarating it was. I remember looking out and I remember seeing all the lights because it was at night. And I remember seeing all the lights. And as you start going higher and higher, you're seeing all the city lights around you. And it was amazing. We were flying out of Chicago. And so you get to see all of that. And it's just, it's exciting. You're excited about the moments. And all of a sudden it breaks to a place where you no longer see the lights and all you see is clouds. And then at that point in time, it was time to take a nap and go to bed. So I went to sleep on the plane and we arrived. It's, it's very similar to the moment when I first met Kasha. I remember when I first met Kasha, I, I remember just being taken back. I remember thinking, man, this woman is not only gorgeous, but she just, man, she just, there's something about her that I'm really, really attracted to her. So much so that as I was walking away, I told my friend Doug, and I know you guys know this, but I told my friend Doug, I'm going to marry that girl. First time met her, it was an experience that changed everything. There are experiences in life that change everything. There are experiences that happen in our lives where we begin to look at things that are happening around us and we begin to realize that in the midst of everything that's changing, there are things that are unchanging we can recognize that God does not change. If we know that God does not change, then there's beauty that's found in that. Another thing is, is we can recognize that God's word does not change. We can look to God's word and, and God's word will apply to our lives and to the circumstances that we're facing. There's change. Today's Valentine's Day and uh, this year, they're saying a record-breaking year. This year, they're anticipating that over 50 billion dollars will be spent on Valentine's Day. Can anyone say that's a lot of money? <laughs> 50 billion dollars. So the breakdown on that is 27.9 billion dollars will be spent on gifts. That's, that's over 187 dollars will be spent on each person's, that's the average gift. From chocolate to candy to jewelry to cards, I mean, you name it, it is out there. They'll spend $21.9 billion on activities, hotels, places, going, you know, skydiving, I don't know, just doing things. Do you do that on Valentine's Day, I guess? What would you say? Dinner. Dinner, that's right. Okay, dinner, that's probably a big one right there. 
Um, 145 million Valentine's cards will be exchanged. And here's the thing. In the midst of all of that, the world has been changing. But guess what has not? Valentine's Day. Like it's still the same. People still are celebrating their love. People are still going out. Kasha and I were um, in Akron, Ohio for our counseling, and it was later in the day, and so we ended up getting a hotel that night, and, and literally I'm, I'm checking into the hotel, and, and it's, the lady's like, we don't have very many rooms left and everything, and I literally looked at her, and I was like, I don't understand, like, what's going on? And she looks at me, and she goes, sir, it's, it's Valentine's Day weekend, and I went, oh yeah, it is Valentine's Day weekend, and and uh, man, it was, yeah, I, it was one of those moments I was prepared for Valentine's, but I just wasn't prepared because that wasn't part of what we were doing. And I was thinking about that and thinking about, okay, there's Valentine's Day going on, there's all these things, and I started thinking about God's Word, and we're going to do a series here coming up where we're going to teach how to actually study God's Word, which I'm really excited about that. We're going to look at how do we actually dig into God's Word. If you haven't been soaping with us every week, we are walking through passages of Scripture together, and we're in the story of Joseph right now in Genesis. I love his story. This is my wife's favorite biblical character throughout, and... um, we can relate to his story, but here, I don't know about you, but when I've been reading through Genesis and when we've been soaping along, all I've kind of seen is like, people are messed up. Like, they're doing some stuff right now where I'm just like, dude, who does that? You know, like, I, I don't even want to get into it because it's just, it's crazy. But what it shows is, is God does not change. His promises are still true. And the one thing that we can see is even in the messed upness of, or the depravity of mankind, even in their mistakes, God is still faithful. And I want to remind you this morning that the word of God is something that we can trust in. It's something that we can hold to. And as we, in these few weeks, we're going to be unpacking how do we actually dig into it. How do we actually read God's word? What does it look like to read it in context? What is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? We're going to be digging into all of that for multiple weeks because I think it's important for us to know how to engage God's word. If you're not following along with us in the soaps, I want to encourage you to spend time reading just one chapter a day. That's it. It's just one chapter. Read the chapter. As you read through it, when there's a scripture verse that maybe kind of jumps out or something that you're just like, I want to study a little more, then observe the context of it, and then apply it to your life, and then pray over it. That's one method of how to read God's word. There are many others. We'll explore different ones together. But one thing that I recognize is in the past, I've made a statement that I want to kind of unpack a little bit this morning. It's Valentine's Day, and many of us will write love letters. Love letters will be moments where we share words of affirmation with somebody we love. I'm not much of a card guy. The reason is, is because I feel like cards are somebody else's words. And even though Kasha underlines the words that are meaningful to her, it's just like, I don't know, it's just not the same. I'd rather have just a handwritten letter from Kasha that just says, you fine, you sexy, you blow my mind. Like that right there, I'm like, yes, those are the words she would use. No, she wouldn't use those words. But I, I love it, though, when she, she writes things out like that to me, when she shares those. I've, I actually have letters 
that she has handwritten that I've kept and many Valentine's Day cards, unfortunately, that I've gotten that I have not. Uh, just because for me, it's the words that she's speaking. I'm a words of affirmation guide too, so that's part of my love language. So when she writes those things out, I'm processing through things in my own life right now where it's like, am I okay with not getting words of affirmation sometimes? Am I okay? Like, is my identity in Christ solid enough to where I don't have to have those affirmations all the time in my life? And I'm, honestly, I'm processing through some stuff. I'm going to counseling, and it's really, really helpful, actually. And this week, even, he gave me some great things. I, I'm a fixer. Any guys out there who fix things? I'm a fixer. And this was, this was huge. My, my counselor said this to me, this, and I'm still processing through this, so this is really fresh. But he said this. He said, Brian, he said, you're always trying to fix things. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Before you fix something next time, I want you to ask this question. God, do you want me to fix this? Because he said, I think what's happening, Brian, is you're trying to fix so many things that you're not able to fix the things God's asking you to fix. And it was like this aha moment, like, Oh, and there's so much more that I can unpack with that. But like, what is it that God is actually asking us to do? And when we think about the word of God, many times I think we think of it like this love letter. Like God wrote a love letter. In fact, I've probably even said that before. It's God's love letter to mankind. But the reality of it is, is a, is a love letter. When I write a love letter to Kasha, do you know what I say to Kasha? I tell Kasha all the great things about her. Do you know what the Bible is not? It's not a love letter to you telling you all the great things about you. It's a love letter to us in a sense, but really not even a love letter. It's, it's a narrative painting the picture of who God is and how great he is. The focus is not on us, but the focus is on him. And when we recognize how great God is, even the song we were singing at the end of the worships, how great, how great, how great is our is our God. Think about that. Like, it's this love letter that is being written to mankind about God. When, when I think about the Word of God many times, and this is even, even with the soap principle, we can many times, like, if not understanding how to really rightly divide God's Word, we can take things out of context. Because we're reading the word and we're looking at it and we're saying, what does this mean to me? And sometimes when we're reading the word, we have to understand, like, no, God is just telling us more about himself. He's telling us more about his character. He's telling us more about how messed up mankind is. When you read, you know, when you're reading through the scriptures and you hit a chapter and it's all the genealogies, you're like, how am I supposed to get something out of that? That's the wrong attitude towards the word of God. What we need to be doing is looking at the word of God and saying, wow, look at what God is saying. God is showing us how all these families are connected. He's showing us the beauty of who he is in the midst of all of their stories. And then later we actually see lineages that connect to the, who Jesus is. And we see that whole connection coming throughout. God's word isn't just about us. In fact, I'll say this, the Bible is not about you. Now don't get me wrong, it's certainly addressed to us. We can actually locate ourselves throughout it. There are so many things that we can apply. In fact, that's much of what we do on the weekends as we come together and we read God's word. I'll teach from God's word so that you can apply different pieces to our lives. But hopefully what you're getting a glimpse of is not just something that applies to you, but you're getting a better picture of who God is. The Bible is for us to be able to teach 
It reveals, it instructs, it actually rebukes certain areas of our lives. It actually encourages us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a passage of Scripture that's familiar to many. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But the Bible is primarily about God. It's about his splendor and his works and his deeds and the things that he's done. It's meant to put a spotlight on him, not on us. It's, it's like this, think of this for a second. It's like 10 million candles, like a spotlight shining though on what? On a diamond. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a diamond that is really crystal clear and it's large? Like if you put it inside of a light, what will happen is, is it will sparkle and light will shine off of it and reflect. That is what the Bible does. The, the Bible is literally like 10 million candles or lights being put upon the diamond, the Father, God, the Father. And it just shines and reflects on all these various areas around us. We get to see how amazing and how breathtaking the character of God is. In, in some ways, you can actually say that the Bible is a love letter from God that's about God. And man, I'm thankful for that. Because <laughs> could you imagine if the Bible was about us? Like, Because that's what is really depressing in Genesis, honestly. If we miss this, we'll get really depressed with where we're soaping right now. Because we're seeing some people make some really dumb choices. Really bad choices. Oh, you want to take these men and, and have sex with them? No, don't take them. Take my daughters. Bad choice. You're like, what? Yes. I can't get pregnant. Here, go ahead and take my servant. My brothers were jealous of him. Let's throw him in a pit. I mean, you just see moment after moment of bad choices happening and all these things, and yet God's promises are still true. Why? Because the Bible's about him, not about us. So when you're reading it, someone, someone a friend of, of mine and Amanda's sends us this text every now and then, and she'll send us these texts about verses in the Bible that I think in her mind she really struggles with. And... Um, one of them was, well, like if you were soaping along with us, you would have seen there was one about not, I don't know, how do I say this? I'll just say it. Um, there's a scripture verse that says don't let, you know, semen actually fall to the ground. And like that's an issue. That's a, that's a problem in the Bible. And it says, or that person can't read. Like I know some of you are like, what? Seriously, that's what the Bible actually talks about. And so she'll send like verses like that to us and say, what does this mean? The problem is, is when we look to mankind and all the parts of mankind, as a, it, it, it does not bring hope. <laughs> it actually can bring depression, and we can look and go, man, like, they're just so broken, like, this whole story. And what was the story connected to there? It was because he, he, according to the law, he was supposed to actually, his brother had died, so he was supposed to give an heir to his brother's wife, and, and yet he wasn't. I mean, just all this craziness that's all mixed up in there, and you're reading it, and if the Bible was just about mankind, there wouldn't be hope. But because the Bible is all about God, then what we recognize is, is that the Bible is a love letter from God that's about God. In other words, because God loves us so much, he actually chooses to continuously reveal himself 
to us through the Bible. In fact, I would say this, the Bible is, is relevatory. It, it tells us things about God that we would never know otherwise. It, it removes, in, in some ways, one, one guy put it this way, one commentary said, it removes the spiritual cataracts the, uh, from our eyes and shows us who God is and how we can then know him. In some ways, it kind of destroys our dull and unimaginative mindsets of how creative God is. I mean, think about it. God is breathtaking. God is amazing. He, like, he is beyond anything we can even comprehend. And what we get to see is we get to see God in the midst of the brokenness. Literally from Adam and Eve all the way through, we see mankind breaking promises, doing dumb things, choosing to sin. And yet what do we see in the midst of all of this? God's big picture story unfolding about how he says, I love you. I have a plan for you. I am greater than that. I am um, stronger than that. His story keeps unfolding throughout. We shouldn't look at the word of God as just individual stories. Oh man, I love the story of Samson. No, what was God doing in the midst of Samson's story. The story of Samson is not important to us without God being in the center of it. And what we see is God being faithful. Even in the end, even after Samson's made dumb choices, given into his flesh, and yet he finds himself in a season of brokenness and God gives him strength one last time. Why? Was it so Samson could be satisfied? No. It was for the destruction of those who were actually turning their backs on God. That was, that was the real story there. That was God's big picture story. The Bible is sweeping from starting from, from time to the end. In fact, I, I came across this in 50 words. Here, here's the Bible in 50 words. It's 50 words. God made, Adam bit, Noah arced, Adam split. Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled, Bush talked, Moses balked. Pharaoh plagued, people walked, sea divided, Table, tablets guided, promise landed, Saul freaked, David peaked, <laughs> prophets warned, Jesus born, God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flamed, word spread. Here we go, last one, God remained. In the midst of everything, God remained. In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of bad choices, who remained? God remained. In the midst of all of it. And as we've been soaping throughout it, we see God remaining in the midst of it. We see God's big picture story. In fact, if we were to take a moment and jump into the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, we see that the early church has been born. And in this moment, they're coming together. In verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And so they began selling their property and their possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day continuing with one mind in the temple breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved 
We can see this and we can see the early church being born, but there's something that was happening among the early church. And I pose this, the early church was digesting spiritual things in community. How, how could a group of people take all of their possessions and just add them together? We don't do that in church today. If, if, if I was to stand in front of you right now and say, hey, by the way, when you leave, we need all of your account numbers because we're, gonna, we're just going to put every, everyone's resources into one so we can take care of one another. How many of you are in? I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> but yet, the early church was doing that. And, and, I, and I sit there and I think, how and why? What, what was happening? Here, here's what I believe was happening. They were digesting God's word together in such a way that they literally were like, man, God says that he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Why would we not be a part of this? Why would we not be a part of trusting God in this season of our life? Why would, why would we not come together in this? See, God's word is like revelation. And when revelation comes to our hearts and lives, it begins to address areas in our lives where we go, man, I need to make a change here. I need to, I need to make a shift here. It's his opinion on life on us and how we relate to him and how we relate to others around us that matters. I believe this, that just as the early church, church devoted themselves to God's word and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, we also should be devoting ourselves to the word of God. And so be, instead of just saying it and saying, hey, you know what, just devote yourself, which is what you're going to hear a lot today, we're going to give you here in a few weeks tools of how to engage it. Until then, you're saying, hey, you know what, I still am trying to figure it out. Join us for soaping on Sunday, uh, every morning at 8 o'clock. You can go to our social channel and you can find it on Facebook. We're also starting to stream it to YouTube. Go on there and actually watch. Every day there's a staff member with a guest who's unpacking what we're soaping together. And here's what I love about it. There's this community that has developed. There's about 30 to 40 people every day that are in there and they're engaging and they're on the comments. Kelly's one of them. <laughs> Kelly's like, it's my, it's my large virtual small group, you know. But honestly, there is this group of people who are coming in and engaging. And what we're doing is, is we're learning from one another. God's word is like this buffet where we continue to learn more about him. But a buffet is better shared in community. Eugene um, Peterson, who wrote the uh, Message Bible translation, uh, in his intro into the Message Bible, he, he actually said, I created this Bible out of a desire, and it's just, it's a translation that's really easy to read. Uh, it's, it's not a literal translation, so it's not something you would use for Bible study, but there's many times where I'll read a passage out of the message because it just helps me understand the context of it. And so he, he said this, he said, I created this translation out of a desire to get my congregation to simply read the word. Devotion to the scriptures, he said, has been neglected for too long. So what he was doing was removing every excuse. When you look at the Word of God, what you see is the Word of God was written over a period of over 1,500 years by over 40 divinely inspired authors. Anywhere from kings to fishermen who wrote the Word of God. And it's incredible to actually unpack that and to begin to think about that because what you see is you see a narrative that actually works together and not against 
It's the word of God that's actually stood the test of times and has actually continued to carry on throughout even in the beginning oral trans, or, uh, traditions and things being spoken to then being translated and written. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Can I remind you that God's word is living and it's active and it's life transforming and it's powerful and we need to make sure that we're not neglecting it. Some people will say this, I'll hear this, you know, they'll say things like, you know, I just, I wish that Pastor Brian gave me more meat and can I just, I, I'm trying to teach you how to fish. I, I, wanna, I want you to learn how to fish. I don't want to do all the fishing for you. There are too many pastors out there, and I, listen, I'm not, I'm, that's not a knock. There's too many pastors who are saying, come to the buffet of weekends, and we'll give you everything you need for the week. But the reality of it is, is I can never fill you up enough on the weekend. But if I can actually teach you how to fish throughout the week, you and I will actually grow in our relationship with God, and then we can take some steps. The message translation, the psalmist says it this way in Psalms 119, how can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you've posted. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Be blessed, God. Train me in the ways of the wise living. I'll transfer to my lips all the counsel that comes from your mouth. I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering piles of riches. I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you. I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything you've told me of life. I won't forget a word of it. Think about this. I won't forget a word. And how does that come? Through studying, through reading the word. One of the most attractive things that my wife does is actually spends time a lot in the word of God. When she pulls out her journal and there's pages and pages of notes that she's been taking on the word of God, I'm like, ooh, that's sexy. You know why? Because she's becoming more like God. See, the, the greatest thing for her to do for me is, is not, has nothing to do with outward appearance. It has everything to do with inward change. When she becomes more like God, I'm attracted to that. See, when, and, and this is the same way. When I become more like God, she's attracted to that. You know when she's not attracted? When I'm not like God. When I say hurtful things. When I do hurtful things. When I'm selfish, when I'm prideful, those are things that aren't more like God. Those are things that take away from God. And guess what? She doesn't want anything to do with that. But when I'm becoming more like the image of who I was created in, I'm becoming more like God's son, then that is more attractive to her. And therefore, she's attracted to me, which is a good thing, especially on a Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is not celebrated just one day in my house. It's celebrated every day. That was cheesy. So anyways, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to even do with that because that's just cheesy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God, tested by trial, a workman 
who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightfully handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. That's the amplified version of 2 Timothy 2.15. So here's, here's the big idea for today. If you're taking notes, write this down. I am created in God's image, so I look to his word for nourishment, direction, and strength. Let me say it again. I am created in God's image. I am, you are, each and every one of us. We are created in the image of God. So we need to look to his word for nourishment, direction, and strength. Remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 talks about this idea of actually created in his image. We see that with Adam and Eve. And we are, we are three-part beings, so we're body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, your soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be found blameless. I want to be found blameless in my soul, my spirit, and inside of my, um, my body. Like, I don't want to be found blameless, so how do I do that? I recognize that I'm created in his image. I'm not a carbon copy. I'm not just something that falls to the side. No, I am created in the image of God. And therefore, I can love like he loves. Therefore, I can have peace like he has peace. I can have joy like he has joy. Why? Because those are characteristics of who he is. And I'm created in that image. And so when I look to God's word, I have to first remember where my identity comes from. My identity comes from him. And from that, then I begin to recognize that nourishment, direction, and strength come during these times. God's word shows us that even the great heroes of faith messed up. In that video you saw as we opened this, you saw stories of David messed up. I mean, we see these moments and you read about them on the page of Scripture and you go, man. Like, in fact, throughout Genesis, as we've been reading there, there have been a few times where I'm like, I did not realize that so-and-so did that. What an idiot. How dumb can you be? And yet we see that unfolding. And what we have to recognize is our dependency needs to be upon God. We need to recognize that we're created in God's image. So we look to his word for nourishment, direction, and strength. Now nourishment, by definition, is this. It's the food or another substance necessary for growth, for health, for a good condition. So think about it. God's word is like, it's like something that helps you grow healthy. Kashanai and Josiah this weekend went to Texas Day Brazil. Has anyone ever been to Texas Day Brazil? If you don't want to know what Texas Day Brazil is, there's one in Detroit. It'll open one day. It's not open now, but we went to one in Cleveland area and everything. It's an all-you-can-eat meat place. And basically what they do is they, <laughs> Brian Penny, he loves it. <laughs> but literally they bring around skewers of meat and they literally come to your table on you know, the guy says, would you like some lamb? And he slices the lamb off. You know, you want some beef, you know, all these different things. Chicken, he's bringing it all around. And they just keep bringing it. And here's the thing. On the table are, is a card, and it's a little circle, and it's either green or it's red. Red side means I don't want any more meat. Green side, you keep it on green. They just keep bringing meat. I mean, 
All of them, they all stop at your table and they just keep coming and coming. Here's the thing. If you, if you don't flip it over, they will keep bringing you meat and you'll eventually get sick. So you have to flip it over to the red side. But here's, here, here's the, the word picture I want you to get. I think some of us have flipped over to the red side of God's word. I've got enough. I'm satisfied. I've, I've, talked, I've talked with people who have been serving the Lord a long time. I even know some young people that have, like, they've read the whole Bible through and everything. They're like, you know, I don't, I don't read the Bible that much anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't read the Bible? I, I just don't read it that much anymore. I'm, I'm good. They've literally flipped the card over from green to red. And I, and I just have a question today is, where's your card and how does it look? Are you literally on green still where you're like, God, just keep filling me up. Man, I want to read your word. I want to take it in. Just keep bringing the meat. Keep bringing the meat. Because here's the thing. The meat comes not through a pastor or through the latest Bible study or the latest thing you saw on the internet. The meat comes through you flipping it over and digging into God's word. You just say, you know what? I'm, I'm not on red. I'm on green. Give me some green. Give me some green. That's what I want. That's what we're doing. That's why we soap throughout the week. Just put it on green. Keep bringing me the word. Keep bringing me the meat. Come on, just keep it coming. Now, for me, the thing is, I want to sit down at the all-you-can-eat meat buffet. I want to get my money's worth because it's expensive. It's like 50 bucks per person. And I go back to my old days where my dad's like, you go to get your money's worth, son. So you make yourself miserable and you just eat meat till you just can't. And you know what I saw there? I saw people eating meat that way. Can I just tell you that it's not healthy to overeat either? Some of us can get so consumed in, in the word of God. And I, I know this, you're like, what? I'm talking about healthy eating here, folks. I'm talking about just getting healthy and looking at God's word and not being like, you know what? I quit my job and all I do is read the Bible every day. No, that, that's not healthy. It's like learning what to do. There was a couple next to us. I don't know. They were skinny folks. And yet they ate, literally they were eating when we got there. We left and they were still eating. Those guys are bringing around meat and they're looking at this small couple over there. And I, honestly, I was like, where are they putting it? I told God, we kept joking around. Okay, we, we came up with this idea. We should create a hoodie, but call it the, food, the foodie. And in the foodie, you would have a little Ziploc bag that you could open up. And every time they brought meat around, you're just like filling up the foodie. And that, uh, that's a, that's a million-dollar idea right there. You could bring your lunch to work with you in the foodie, which would be a hoodie that had a little thing in it. And I'm sorry, Josiah, I gave up your idea. First Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn babies long for pure milk of the word, so that it may be grow in respect to salvation. Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a joy and a delight in my heart, for I called you by name, O Lord God of hosts. Listen, you and I are created in God's image, so we look to his word for nourishment, for direction, and for strength. Think about it. Like Psalms, Psalmist says it this way in Psalms 37, verse 23, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Come on, let's, let's turn the green card over in our lives when it comes to God's word. Let's spend time in it. And let's let God's word, let's delight in God's word and let him establish our steps. See, the moment we begin to question where we're going is the moment that we can stop growing. 
It's like, no, I want to keep looking to God's word. I want to find more out about his character. I want to know more about his, his identity. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Psalms 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We need direction. Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What are we talking about? When we spend time in God's word, it is like direction. It's like, it's like someone shining the flashlight out upon our lives. It's like God saying, no, this, here's the next step. Here's where you should... John 15, 7 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Come on, there are so many truths that we can be holding to throughout God's word. But we have to remember that we're created in God's image. So we look to his word for nourishment, for direction, and for strength. One of the things that I have found so encouraging throughout our time of soaping has been how faithful God is. I'm not talking about just through the stories. We want to celebrate stories of God's faithfulness. That's why we have those praise report cards in there because we want, we want to celebrate with you. But even if they don't come from among our own church, we can look to God's word and see that he is faithful. And he has not changed in the midst of the change. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. James 4, 8 says, draw near, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How do we draw near to him? We spend time in his word. We turn the card over from red to green and we say, I'm ready to eat. Bring the meat. Bring the meat, God. I don't need just, in fact, one of the things at Texas Day Brazil, a lot of people fill up on the salad bar. And the salad bar is good, but come on, I want the meat. If I wanted a salad bar, I'd go to Ruby Tuesdays. Are they still even open? A few of them? A few of them, yeah. You're going to go somewhere. What, what, am, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, that I am created in God's image, so I look to his word for nourishment, for direction, and for strength. The key is letting God's word in. It's digesting God's word. When we read the Bible, our first question should always be not, what is this just about me? But it should be, what is this actually showing me about God? See, and, and, I, and I was realizing this the other day because I was like, as we're sitting there soaping and stuff, and it's a good practice to apply it to our lives. But sometimes the application is actually, God, what are you actually doing? What's the story you're doing? And when you actually read it all in um, congruity or in togetherness, I, I don't even, can't think of the right word. Chronological order. Basically, however it was written, when you read it in the Bible as it was written and not just piecemeal it, right? Because that's what we do. We jump over here. We're in Psalms or over here. We're just jumping all over the place. We like to jump to where the feel-good passages are. In fact, I bet you if you typed in feel-good passages in the Word of God on Google, it would probably pull up feel-good passages in the Word of God. 
But when we read it actually in its entirety, what we see is we do see the brokenness of mankind, but we also see the faithfulness of God. We see that those who are created in his image, which is all of us, can actually receive through his word strength, nourishment, and actually direction. We should be looking at the scriptures and saying, how does this actually point to Christ? What does this actually reveal in my need for a savior? How how does this actually show me more of God's character? And once that foundation then is in place, then we can look at our lives and we can say, you know what, my foundation is actually built upon something that's not sinking, but something that is strong. I closed with this today. How many of you love the beach? Raise your hand real quick. You love the beach. So we, Kosh and I, we love the beach. We love going to the beach. Right now, in the midst of all this snow and weather, I'm longing for the beach. Anybody? It's like, man, just give me the beach. I'm not talking about Lake Michigan Beach because you can see those beaches right now. We got to see Lake Erie, and guess what? It was eerie. (laughs) It was all frozen over and everything. There was no beach there. But, man, give me a nice Caribbean beach with some white sand in between my toes and give me someone bringing, you know, unlimited strawberry daiquiri, virgin strawberry daiquiris. Just keep bringing that kind. I mean, come on. let's 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 just hang out there in that spot. But here's what I know about sand. Sand is not a good foundation. I was doing a little bit of research on just the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and you know, I mean, the whole idea of they built this cathedral, and they built it upon a foundation that was the, the soil was weak. So eventually that tower began leaning, and, uh, and as it began leaning, it just had an effect on things that are around us. And I, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the beach, so I'm going to connect it here together for you, okay? Um, when, I, when Kasha and I go to the beach, one of the things I love to do is I love to take my beach chair and sit where the water breaks upon my legs. But eventually, do you know what happens? Eventually, the foundation around me goes away. And all of a sudden, my chair is buried in the sand. I got sand now washing up in me. I, my, my chair, you know, like it's just, it doesn't work. Why? Because there's not a firm foundation. And some of us are trying to go through life without the firm foundation. It's it's like in the midst of all the change, in the midst of everything, we're choosing to go put our chair at the edge of the water and say, I don't want, it's it's because this is where the comfort is. This is where where my enjoyment is. But the, the truth is, is that it's not a firm foundation. The things of this world are not a firm foundation. We have to remember, we are created in his image, the image of God. And so we need to look to his word, which his word is a firm foundation for us. And in his word, we'll find nourishment. And in his word, we'll find direction. And in his word, we'll find strength. In his word, why? Because his word is constantly revealing to us his character. The word of God reveals his character You want to know how to fish? You want to know how to get the meat? Dig into God's word. Dig into God's word. Take responsibility for it. It's no one else's responsibility to feed you. It's your responsibility. So dig in. I just don't even know where to begin. Just grab a soap guide right outside. 
If you're watching online, you're like, I don't even know where to begin. Just get on, look online on our digital platform. You'll be able to see where we're soaping. Just dig into God's word with us. You're like, I, I just don't even, I don't even know how to even, I, just read it, read it the day before, read where we're going to be, and then the next morning, log on at 8 o'clock and watch it. You're like, well, I, I have to work. Okay, then read the passage of scripture, then later on, sometime throughout the day, log on and watch it. Well, I don't have internet connection. Okay, all right, so we could come up with every excuse, right, why we can't feed ourselves. But I believe this church body right here is saying, you know what? I'm not flipping that card to red. I'm keeping that card on green. I'm going all in. Give me the meat. I want to learn more about the character of who God is. Let's keep the card green, not red. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. You know, Pastor Eric, it's all right. I don't even know that we even need a guitar playing here at the end. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. Here it is. It's real simple. Flip your script. Flip it to green. Just flip it to green. Say, this week I'm going to read God's word. If this week you'll just take one step, just read God's word, I promise you next week you'll be different. And next week when Harry and Cheryl Salem come and they preach the word, it's going to be powerful. You're going to invite friends. They're going to come out. It's going to be a great weekend. But I'm just telling you, what if this week we just chose to keep the card on green? What could happen? There could be a lot of things that could happen. Because you could realize that you're created in the image of God. And you could find nourishment, direction, and strength. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.